0: Ah, it's so good to see you. I love our church. If you've been here during this series over the last couple weeks, well, a couple of weeks ago, Doug Fields, we love Doug, took a shot at Eric because Eric was riding a mountain bike and went over the handlebars and dislocated his shoulder and he showed up in this, you know, pink thing. And so he kind of gave him, you know, a certain measure of crap because, and then Doug shows up and he's all busted up. You know, and it's just not right to compare yourself to somebody else. Here's a 40-year-old, and he's saying he's better than a a (laughs) 50-year-old. And I'm 60. (laughs) And I've ridden a mountain bike every week this summer, and I don't have a dislocated shoulder. (laughs) Just saying. And... Oh, yeah, and even better, I went water skiing with my kids and grandkids, and I didn't hurt my arm. I'm just saying, you know, I love those guys. I'm just way tougher than they are. (laughs) Next week, Eric and Kay will be back. They are in Haiti, and I am so excited to hear what God has done in their life and through them, so that'll be great. This last week, I got to be with my kids. I've got nine grandkids, and kids, there's 17 of us, 19 of us total. You lose some of them in there. And um, got to be away with them and had such a fun time. We were at a hotel and. And part of it, after breakfast, I was walking through this hotel, and they had a big ballroom, and so I just went in, and we started playing games, kids' games, you know, sharks and minnows and duck, duck, goose, and it's so fun to, these little two, three, four, a lot of their ages, and we're running back and forth, and they're laughing and playing, and kids just running in circles, you know, just like there's a two-year-old, and, and when that was happening, I literally, I thought, I have died and gone to heaven. you died and gone to heaven. Now, wait, wait, wait. And so, you know, what makes you feel like you've died and gone to heaven? Maybe it's traveling with your family, and you're in a new country or a new experience. There's an adventure and excitement, a freedom, and you think, I have died and gone to heaven. I remember on TV, you know how during the middle of a basketball game at halftime, they'll pull somebody out of the crowd. They'll give them a a chance to take a shot from half court, and if you make it, you win a million dollars, and a guy made it. And he literally said, I feel like I've died and gone to heaven. What would make you say, I feel like I've died and gone to heaven? Jesus gives an answer that will totally shock you. Listen to what Jesus said. Buckle up. God blesses or a divine happy or divine uh, windfall of blessing is coming your way to those who are persecuted for doing good. I've died and gone to heaven, you know, doesn't I feel? Uh, For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you, persecute you, and lie about you, and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. You can have a, I feel like I've died and gone to heaven experience here. And remember, ancient prophets were persecuted the same way. So here, Jesus says this, and and right away, I know what you're thinking. You're right, Kenton, I am just one persecution short of happiness, meaning, and significance. I will feel like a divine windfall of blessing has come my way if I am mocked. Persecuted, lied about, harassed, rejected, discriminated, dismissed, disvalued, dissed, you know, just do it. Now, what is Jesus talking about? He cannot be meaning that we just deny reality and put on a happy face when there's hurt and we just like, oh, golly gosh. He couldn't be meaning that. And he couldn't mean that, you know, okay, everybody, you know, here's your goal for this next week go out and get persecuted. You know, that's not what he's mean. So what is Jesus saying? Well, we're going to talk about it. And I think we can make it very clear from Scripture what Jesus meant. But for those of you that might be new or you're seeking, you're not even sure what you believe about Jesus, I'll tell you what you'll enjoy about this message is this. Jesus is very straightforward, and he says there's a cost to following Jesus. And so you'll get to see the cost. And for those of us that are followers of Jesus, what you should find refreshing is Jesus says straight up, there is a cost. That's what persecution is. It is when it cost us something to follow Jesus. And if you read through your Bible, I mean you read in the Old Testament, it cost people to follow. And it costs something for Jesus to follow God's will. It clearly cost the apostles, the disciples in the book of Acts. It it cost them something to follow Jesus. And Jesus says, it will cost you. And he he just says, that's it. And what will the cost be? On your outlines, you can see, and the purpose of an outline is just look at it so you kind of know where we are, and it gives you a chance maybe later in the week to remember what we talked about. But it can be as simple as being misunderstood, or a little bit more costly is to be criticized, a little bit more costly is to be harassed, and the most it would be oppressed. And while we don't experience that in America, we don't experience religious oppression that remember in the majority world in the two-thirds world Christians the majority of Christians in the world experience real oppression in China and Pakistan India the Middle East lots of places and so they understand this and they would go yeah I understand it but it doesn't minimize what we experience because we will be persecuted now it isn't the only thing we experience I mean, it's important to lock this in your brain. When the early church began, and it is exploding onto the scene, look at what it said in Acts 5. The people had high regard for them. These were Jesus followers. They were people of character. They talked about the love of God. Many people respond to Jesus followers, and they go, I like you. Even if they don't believe in Jesus, they like you. You are a liked group of people. People like Christians. And at the same time, it says in 2 Timothy 3, 12, everyone who wants to live a godly life will suffer persecution. It's true in Jesus's life. If you look at, there were people who liked Jesus. They liked his teaching. Some that didn't even follow him liked who he was and what he said. And others did not like him, even to the extreme point of where they wanted to persecute him. And they put him on a cross and killed him. And it will be true in your life is what Jesus is saying. If you follow Jesus, some people will like you for it. They'll want to hire you. They'll want to work for you. They'll want your children to marry their children. They'll be attracted to your character. They will like you. And there will be others who won't. And they'll criticize you for it. They'll harass you. They won't respect you for it. So it's a both end. And what's important to remember is this. Jesus does not say happy and blessed are the persecuted. What does Jesus say? Happy, fortunate, a windfall of blessing are for those who are persecuted for? For? For righteousness' sake or for doing good, you know, for right reasons. It is possible to be persecuted for wrong reasons, and that's not what Jesus is talking about. So what are some of the wrong reasons that people get persecuted? When we're judgmental, okay, people, you know, they're gonna respond back to that. When we're obnoxious, when we're just weird, when we are unhealthily, unnecessarily against some things that we don't need to be against, then, you know, that's not the kind of persecution that Jesus is talking about. A few examples. There's a guy in Kentucky who is building a full-size ark, replica of the ark in the Old Testament in his backyard, and he's claiming that he has persecution. He is being persecuted for righteousness' sake because the government won't give him a tax break for doing that. Okay, that's not what Jesus is talking about. There's a person a few years ago, and this one's a little bit more sobering, bombed an abortion clinic and killed a doctor. And then when he was sentenced and he was interviewed uh, just before he went to jail, he says, I am being persecuted for righteousness sake. And we can all agree that is not what Jesus is talking about. And then also, I think there are people who expect the government to support their religious beliefs over other people's religious beliefs And that is not what Jesus is talking about. There are three things that we will be persecuted for that is what Jesus is talking about. And you can see on your outline three categories. Because of your changed life, because of your new value system, and because of your message. These three things we are going to do. And Jesus said, since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. So here's three reasons that you will be and should be and you should embrace and then there's a reward for it on the other side and there's this life of blessing related to these three things we are blessed we're fortunate when we experience this changed life and anyone who is a Jesus follower if you talk about your life you tell your story you're going to tell a story of amazing grace this amazing truth that you were lost you were blind I mean you were broken you were overwhelmed with your inability to do what God wanted you to do, you wanted to do right, you could never choose what was right, and you were just spiritually bankrupt. You came to a moment where you just go, man, I'm lost, I can't find my way. And. You heard, you came to church, or a friend told you, you read a book, somehow you heard this incredible story of God's great love for you. He didn't stay distant, He showed up in this world 2,000 years ago in the person of Jesus, who loved you so much, He wanted to forgive you. So He went to the cross, He died in your place for your sin so that you could be restored and have a relationship with your heavenly father and not only that experience the wonder of forgiveness and a fresh start and not only that he would give you he gave you the power through his spirit to become the very person that you wanted to be and your story now is a great story it's a better story because it's a story of being lost and found blind and now you can see where you were a spiritual orphan and now you have a family lots of us have done rooted and the reason we went into rooted is because we wanted to connect with God and connect with God's people and find our purpose and at the end we have this great graduation and all the groups they choose different people to share their testimony just on a cardboard and they stand up in front of the group and you just can read it and people just cheer and if you've been to a rooted celebration it is one of the best things that happens in our church because they scream and yell for the changed lives of people here's one the person says you know I was afraid unsure of my future after the loss of my sister. Look at the face change. Trusting God, letting go of fear, and I now know he is faithful. And people scream and yell. Another one, lost, living in fear and angry with God. Look at that face. And then, well, you can't see her face. (laughs) I have faith God has a plan for me, free from my anger. And they go over, people will talk about, I was struggling with an addiction, you know, different addictions. And they go, but now I found freedom and power in Jesus. They'll talk about, I was alone and isolated in the front of their cart. And they go, now I have a family. People will say, I was overwhelmed with stress, worry and anxiety, now I have found peace. And we cheer and yell. And every time, in every graduation, it's emotional. I stand in the back, I'm crying all the way through it. It is so beautiful. We celebrate change lives. But not everyone does. Not everyone will. Look at what it says in 1 Peter 4. Of course, of course, you know this. Your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do. So they slander you. When your life has been changed by Jesus' love, you don't want to do the same things. And it confuses your friends. And sometimes they feel rejected because you've lost them. And they're confused by it. And so they they talk bad about you. And other times they feel judged because you talk about God's love and you experience God's love and they go, oh, so God loves you, doesn't love me and they misinterpret what you're saying. But it just creates a certain distance and, and so they feel judged. And you don't mean to judge them. You're, you're like one beggar going to another beggar and go, I found bread. You gotta find the bread. You gotta come and get some bread. And they're going, ah, you know, you don't, whatever it is. But sometimes they don't like it. And so it says we will be sometimes We will be persecuted just for the changed life. The second reason is our new value system. Jesus came to this earth to teach us a new and better way to live. We've been looking at that. This is last week in the Beatitudes, but as we've gone through it, Jesus said, blessed, happy are those who understand their spiritual poverty and that you can't do it alone. We're people that go, I understand, I can't, I can't, but God can, and I'm going to trust him, or that... uh, we are humble, we restrain our strength, and we put others ahead of ourselves. Uh, we don't give in to sin, but we hunger and thirst after righteousness. We show mercy to those people whose lives have been battered by sin. We are pure in heart. We play the role of the peacemaker. And, and he talks about these things. We're not a, a me-first group of people. We live for others because we're Jesus followers. We have a different value system, and sometimes people appreciate that value system. But sometimes we get hurt, and they oppress us. They use it because it's like, good, you know, you're going to put me first and I'm going to step on you and we got to figure that out. But Jesus goes on and he talks about other values. And they're in the Sermon on the Mountain. So he talks about how we manage anger. We've got to be different people. He talks about sexuality. That one is, I mean, for Jesus followers, I, I remember working with college students and they would just be so surprised. Jesus says, what about my sexuality? I mean, that's my business. And he said, no, it's not. And Jesus would talk about it. And it took them a while to figure it out. But as Jesus followers, we want to believe what he says. And we want to believe it's the best for us. And the world will never accept what Jesus said about sexuality they won't it's just too confusing for them but we believe it we follow it and then jesus later in this message talks about marriage and family very shocking very different views than our culture has and the culture will never embrace our views and we shouldn't expect them to because these are views this is ours this is our family this is who what we do as jesus followers and then he talks about managing money, loving your enemies, being a truth teller, being generous, especially to the poor, the needy, the marginalized, the forgotten. How we manage worry, we were just different people. We live with a peace that the world cannot understand. And then he talks about, you know, all, all of humanity have, has this terrible tendency to be judgmental. But Jesus says, no, not with you. You are not going to be judgmental people because, you've, you know, you, you just don't judge. And so we, he gives us a different value system. And when we follow Jesus, our value system collides sometimes with culture. And people sometimes will like that because we're loving, we're trying to honor others, we're different and sometimes people will be harassed by it they'll be critical of it and we will be persecuted for it and so he says jesus said in the the world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it but you no longer are part of the world i chose you to come out of the world so it hates you and so there is this theme That you see, we're over, it says we're called out, we're taken out of the world, we're saved from the world, we're no longer a part of the world. But at the same time, there's a second theme in the New Testament where Jesus says, so now I send you into the world, go into all the world and preach the gospel, love your enemies, be salt and light. And these two truths we have to hold because they're constantly in tension. If you let go of one, you lose the power of the both. So... You understand where you say, if you go, yeah, I'm called out, I'm saved from, and so you just withdraw from the world, the world's a terrible place, and so you pull away from the world, then you've lost the tension of you are sent into the world. So it's a both and. So we can't withdraw from the world, but we can't just jump into the world and be conformed by the world. Romans 12 says, don't be conformed. Don't fit so well into the world that you look like the world. So you have to be both and. And when you are both, you are a follower of Jesus on mission. We are saved from. We are called out of the world. We are delivered from. We no longer are part of the world so that we can be sent back into the world and be salt and light and be the ones who share the love of Jesus and show the love of Jesus. And it creates tension for the follower of Jesus. Does that make sense? Yeah, you get that? Yeah. Tension. Woo! I love tension, Ken. That's great. And so you go. So we have it. And as a result, some will like it and some won't. And then the third thing is our message. And you know the message of Jesus is very conflicting. I read a passage of scripture out of Acts. This is after Jesus died on the cross Disciples were despondent, but then he rose from the dead, changed their whole message. They go, Jesus is risen from the dead. The religious leaders just hate them for it because they keep going around the streets of Jerusalem and say, You killed Jesus, but God raised him from the dead, and we've seen him, and he's alive. And so they get so mad that the religious leaders get Peter and all the apostles and they pull him in and they say, You've got to stop talking to people about Jesus. Quit saying we killed him and enough with the R word. You know, no more resurrection, just no more. And so they beat him and they throw him in jail to scare the Jesus out of them. Okay, that's what they do. And so then they come before him and this is what it says. But Peter and the, they said, no more, no more Jesus, no more R word. And Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. Now, remember, these guys have the power of life and death. And then they look at him and say, and God raised Jesus from the dead right after you killed him. <laughs> and you and hung him on the cross. And, of course, when they heard this, the high council was furious, and they decided to kill him. And you should read the rest of the story, because it's great. But uh, here's the point. Here's the answer. Okay, I'm going to ask you a question. The answer is Jesus, Okay. It's always a good answer in church, Jesus. So what, if you had to just say in one word, was our message to this world, it's Jesus. Right. And when we share our message with the world of Jesus, there will be people who will like it, and there will be people who will not. I go to a coffee shop, and I got a group of guys that I just love. These guys are, they're not church people. They do not come to church, but I really love them, and we talk about life, we talk about work, family, marriage, we talk politics, and boy, we don't agree at all. And, and you know, but it's, it's great, and I love these guys. But as a part of it, because I love them, I share Jesus with them. And I'm not obnoxious about it, but you know, at least eight times a year, it just comes up and, you know, I tell them how much I love them, and then I say, you know, as we talk about this, I can't help, but you know, say you know this world's broken, because it just we've been talking about a broken world, and and we don't like that. It, we all know that it's broken. I mean, it, the world's not right, and we long for a better world. And part of that longing shows that we were created for something that's different than the world we live in. And when God created the world, it wasn't like this. It was perfect, and we lived in loving relationship with God, and with each other. You know, we got along. But because of our selfishness and our you know our brokenness. We've ruined everything. The wars that we're talking about or the hatred, jealousy, racism, sexism. It's because of our selfishness. And because I know them, I can give them individual examples of their brokenness. And I do, just to make it interesting for them. And I say, or myself, and I go, we're broken. And we just can't be the people that we want to be. But here's the good news. And I just want you to know it. I know I've told it to you before, but God loved you so much, he just couldn't bear to leave you that way. So he came to this earth 2,000 years ago in the person of Jesus Christ, and he taught us a better way to live, but he, he did this incredible thing. He died the death that you're already dying, the death you're dying right now. He died in your place to forgive you so that he could restore you to your relationship with your Heavenly Father. And all you have to do is really believe in him, And this is where there's always a rub point and and it's because it's an offense to their pride because they go, whoa, you know, but I got to do something. I know you can't, you're saying I got to be good. I got to go to church. I go, no, you don't have to do any of that because Jesus died on the cross for your sins. There's nothing you can do. And they go, it can't be that simple, can't it? And I go, yeah, it is. You just have to believe. You have to trust. You have to put your life. Now i got to do it. I'll clean up my life. I'll get better, you know, and then I'll come to church. And I go, if you could get better, you wouldn't need church. You wouldn't need Jesus. You can't do it. And it's always, that's one of the big rub points with Jesus is they just are offended. Their pride is offended. There's nothing they can do. They go, well, I'm better than that. And then I say, but you know what? You just got to believe in Jesus because he is the only way that you can experience this forgiveness and then right there they go that's what i don't like about you Kenton, because it's it's just jesus with you it's jesus the only way the only one the only door the only right and i go on and they just will say i just got i believe that there's other good people in the world and good people get into heaven you know they kind of do that thing and here's here's the deal you know they don't drop to their knees and pray <laughs> right there that hasn't happened yet i keep talking to these guys and some of them you know, they go, we, they kind of look at me with this, I'm glad you haven't given up on me, Kenton, look, and they appreciate me, and sometimes they'll say it, and some don't like it, and this might be hard for you to believe, but they actually don't like me. I mean, <laughs> I know, I'm kind of an enchanting guy myself, I think, but over time, they, it, you know, because I don't let go of it, it sort of pushes them away, and... And I love them. I I love them and I, I still but they just don't choose to be around me as a result. And yeah, I'm sad about that, but that's part of the deal. That's part of what the message does. I get it. It just drives them away. I can't change the message. And they do it. But here's the thing that I love. When you read about the followers, the first followers of Jesus, you know what prayer they never prayed? They never, you know, because they knew this new life, you know, it it brought a certain persecution and the new value system really was at odds with Rome. And the whole message of Jesus, I mean, it just set some people off. But you know what they never prayed? They never said, God, would you deliver us from persecution? Do you know what they prayed for? They prayed that God would make them bold and courageous in light of the persecution. Because do you know what they understood? They understood how persecution brought a windfall of blessing into their life. It brought a certain amount of meaning and purpose because to live with it, the sense of, you know... I want this changed life, and it's going to be a little abrasive, but I want the changed life. And I get this new value system is going to conflict the world, but I get I want to be a Jesus follower, and I, I need to be salt and light. And I get how the message of Jesus, it might conflict you at times, but it is It is the only hope for life that people ever have. And so they never said, oh, you know, God take away the persecution because they understood. I'll run through them really fine, but there are five great things. Jesus says a great reward awaits you in heaven. I mean, you will feel like you have died and gone to heaven when you understand these truths. That's what Jesus is saying. The first is that you have a home in heaven. There's a promise of heaven. And when you, and you know, here's what Jesus said in John 14, don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Here's what Jesus is saying. This world isn't all that there is. This world is not the best that there is. You have a home in heaven, and the best is yet to come. And when you have that, you can make it through some of the difficulties, challenges, and persecutions of this life. And when you read through the Old Testament, just remember Hebrews 11, it tells a story, summarizes the whole Old Testament. It talks about Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and all these characters that you read about. And this is what it says about them. It says all of them had faith. And remember, faith is when hope so turns into believe so. You know, it says they didn't, they hope, but they believed it. And the way hope so turns into believe so is that you have a promise promise that you hold on to, and they had a promise from God that God would take care of it, and they understood this life wasn't all that there was. There was a better life, and basically what it says about all those people in the Old Testament is they died, and they never experienced the better in this life, but they had faith because they knew the best was yet to come. They knew this life wasn't all that there was. So Moses, for instance, he said, Moses, let go of all the riches and the power and the prestige of Egypt, and instead chose to be persecuted and, you know, lead God's people. And as a result, even though he never saw what God promised, he believed the best was yet to come. Because see, you have a home in heaven. You have a future where God is your father. And grace is the air that you breathe. And there's no more tears and sadness when we get there because he says, I prepared a home for you. It's a heavenly home, a heavenly place. And there's no more tears. There's no more sadness. There's no more ambulances. There's no more disease, no more cancer. Ultimately, death is the not, is not the last word that is spoken over your life because Jesus says, you are my child. And as a result of that, that ultimately, you know, he's going to return. One day we get to be with him and all of creation will sing. And everything that's been taken away from us in this life will be given back to us. And everything we never had will be given to us. And all of creation will sing and God will restore our song because this life is not the best that we have. We've got a home in heaven. And he says, when you understand this in the most challenging moments of life, he says, you will experience this windfall of blessing. It's like, I, have, I understand when I die. I get to go to heaven. The second one is comfort. Look at what it says in 2 Corinthians 1. For the more you suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. One of the things that I enjoy when I get to travel into the majority world and you see, I get to be with people who are clearly oppressed. I mean, they live in constant physical danger. And I can't help but say, how do you do it? They basically say this. They say, you know that story of Daniel 3 of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And, you know, they're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. And they said, God can deliver. But even if he doesn't, I'm going to trust him. And then they were thrown into the furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar said, didn't we throw three guys in there? How come I see four? And they say, I experience, I know what that story means. Because in the most difficult moments, when they're thrown in jail or they're oppressed, they say, I experience God's presence, Jesus' presence with me. Like, I know what it means to be comforted. And if they know it in the most severe moments, you can too. When you go through these moments where people criticize or harass because of your story or your values or... Because of your changed life, you will experience the comfort of Jesus. And then in Romans, it says, We rejoice, too, when we run into problems, suffering, persecution, and trials. For we know that they will help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, strength of character, a confident hope. It's the way God grows us up. And so even in those difficult moments, God grows us. It's not all good, but God works to things together for good and then in those moments those who trust in the Lord will find new strength and then in Philippians I love he says I want to know Christ and participate in his sufferings it's the way we become like Christ see there are these five great things we have a you know can't go through them all but the point is is that when we understand that we experience this windfall of blessing divine delight because we understand God is working in our life even in those moments of persecution. But here's the question I really want you to think about. What happens when persecution works in your life? What happens? You know, when you just become so afraid that if you share your changed life or you share about Jesus or you talk about these new values that you're trying to live out, that, you know, you're just so afraid that you won't get, you won't get invited into the fraternity, You won't get invited to play golf, they won't ask you to be a part of their group, you'll be criticized by a family member, you'll be judged, or you're just so afraid if you had the conversation, you won't have an answer to a question they have and you'll be embarrassed. What happens when it works? When persecution works? We become secret Christians. And do you know what happens when we become a secret Christian? The gospel stops with you. 2,000 years of Christianity comes up and goes right into you, and it just stops because you're a secret Christian, and no one knows. No one knows about God's love because it's always easier to say nothing, and it takes courage to say something. A guy just ran into this week, he talked about He goes, man, I love our church. I got a new neighbor moved in next to me from out of state a while ago. And I I said, hey, I walked over and he goes, and it was scary. You know, I thought, oh, what will happen? But I said, oh, what the heck? So he came over and he goes, hey, have you found a church yet? And the guy goes, eh, we're not really church people. He goes, neither am I. But I found a great church. You got to come to my church. You'll love it. He got the guy, drug him to church eventually. And he says, but you know, my real goal is I'm going to get that guy to root it. He doesn't mean no. I'm going to get him to root Sort of ruin the deal. But he said, uh, he goes, but you know what? Here's the point. Every one of you that's a believer, think about this. Every one of you that's a believer, you're grateful that that somebody in your life was not a secret Christian. They took the risk to tell you their story or invite you to church or hand you a book, or the most tricky of all things, invite your children to church, and then your kids liked it, and you had to come. (laughs) And you came to church, and it ruined your life. I mean, think about it, you're sitting in church, and it's Labor Day weekend, and you're in church, your life's ruined, right? (laughs) It is, but you know what? You think about what it was like before you knew Jesus you know what, you were insecure. You didn't have a love that flooded your heart. There wasn't a place to go when you needed forgiveness. You had to deal with the weight of your own sin and brokenness on your own. You were overwhelmed with it. Remember those days? See, you're really glad that somebody wasn't a secret Christian with you. See, when persecution works, no one will ever know that you're a Jesus follower. And if you're not a Jesus follower, you're trying to figure it out, I actually know what you're thinking right now. You know what you're thinking? You're saying, that's what I hate about you Christians, you just can't keep it to yourselves. (laughs) But I got to tell you, there's good news for you. Some of us are just so scared to death, we will keep it to ourselves. I mean, if you're not a Jesus follower, I guarantee you, you're working with people that are just so scared, you'll never know they believe in Jesus. You got family members that are so afraid, they'll never tell you. You got coworkers that'll never say it to you. You have friends that are never going to say anything because, you know, the sad truth is there's some of us that are just so scared. We are so scared, we're just never going to tell anybody. And the good news stops with you. But there's others of us that are just so thrilled with God's love, we can't get over it. And yeah, we you know, maybe we don't do it perfect, and we don't say it right every time, but we're going to tell you about our changed life. We're going to tell you about Jesus. We just can't keep quiet about it. And some some of our friends they'll be okay with it. And some of us some of our friends will criticize us for it. But you won't die not in America. But when you get confused by it all, the most important thing you can remember is this, that Jesus was persecuted for righteousness' sake for you. Look at what it says in Philippians 2. Have the same attitude that Christ had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, and he was born a human being. First, most important thing to remember is that Jesus came to this world, he humbled himself and he became like you. He humbled himself in obedience to God and then secondly, he died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the highest place of honor and gave him the name that is above all other names. There are two things in this passage that Jesus said were the most two important truths that you could ever know. And when you know these truths, they are soul-defining, and they will hold you and sustain you. In fact, they were so important, Jesus gave us a way to remember these things, to experience these truths, and the way he gave us is communion or the Lord's Supper, and we're going to take that right now, but here's what I want you to know. What we're going to do is something that Jesus prescribed because it holds a soul, it it is meant to be powerful in your life. And it is around these two truths. So the ushers are gonna go and get the, uh, get the elements, and then they're gonna pass them, and here's what I need from you. I need you to hold the bread and the cup. Don't take it, because I wanna explain it to you. I wanna make it very powerful for you in your, for you in your life, and we're gonna take it together. So we're gonna pass it. Colby's gonna come and sing over you, And then I'm going to come back and we're going to remember Jesus the way he told us to because this is meant to be a powerful experience in your life. So ushers, come forward. Remember, hold the bread and the cup. two truths that Jesus wanted us to understand. Two truths that are the most powerful truths that a human being can ever come to grips with. And they're represented by the two things in your hand. Jesus, when he was with his disciples, he did this and he said, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. Because he believed that we would forget these two most powerful truths. The first he took the bread when he was with his disciples and he said this bread is a picture of my body which is given for you. He said do this in remembrance of me because what he believed is that they would forget. Jesus is saying I was God but I didn't stay distant. I came into this world. I was born as a baby in a manger. I became like you to be with you so that you could be confident that I understand you, that you could believe it's possible to know God. As real as the bread that you're holding is as real as the truth that Jesus was God in the flesh. He says, but you're going to forget it. And when you forget it, this is what happens. You, in your pain or sadness, confusion, because we live in a broken world, you start to think of crying out to God and you look up and you say, oh God, and then in your mind you go, but you're God. You can't understand. You don't know what it's like to be broken. You don't know what it's like to be weak. You don't know what it's like to feel small, to be humiliated, to be hurt by people. You can't know what my life is like. But do you see what the bread does? It screams that's not true because God understands. Because God became like you. Jesus was born in poverty, raised in an oppressive culture. His own family rejected him. He was humiliated through his life. His friends left him. He was betrayed by one of his closest friends. He was mocked, abandoned, and he actually experienced death. Jesus experienced everything that we know so that in the most desperate moments, We don't forget, and we say, you understand. Jesus, you're with me. You understand. Jesus came, he was like us, and he loved us. Jesus is with me, and he understands. Can you say that with me? Jesus is with me, and he understands. Say it one more time. Jesus is with me, and he understands. Take the bread and eat it. And after supper, he took a cup, and he says, this cup is a picture of my blood that is shed for you. And he said, do this in remembrance, and again, this truth is so powerful, but we'll forget. Because what Jesus is saying is, ultimately, I went to the cross and I died for your sins, I paid it, I paid it all. I did everything that needs to be done, I died for the penalty of sin, I destroyed the power of your sin, in your life, and now I offer you forgiveness. It's a free gift. There's nothing you can do. You were never able to do anything. And yes, it's an offense to your pride, but you couldn't do anything about it. And see, when we forget this, you know what we start to think? We do something wrong, and we go, oh, i got to be better. i got to be better. God, I'll be better. We make promises. I'll be better. I'll try harder. I'll try harder because we've forgotten, or we think we can be better, or we think we can earn it. Or sometimes we feel just guilt and shame because of our own inability to do the things that we want to do. And so we go, God, look at, I feel so bad. Look at how bad I feel. And because we feel bad, we think, you see how bad I am? How bad I feel? Then you've got to forgive me. And again, it's a way of earning it. And you've forgotten. You have forgotten that Jesus paid it all. He says, I don't want you to ever forget that. So he says, this cup, it's a picture of my blood that was shed for you. I paid it all. Say, Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. Listen to yourself say it one more time. Jesus paid it all. Take and drink, drink the cup. And that's a truth that holds a soul. Let's stand and worship him together. time's got space for your friends Eric's back from Haiti it will be a great weekend if you have any needs for prayer a team of people meet over here they'd love to pray with you if your need is to be prayed for healing outside these doors to the right elders are there to pray for you hold out your hands receive God's blessing Father look at your children they love you would you bless them and keep them hold them fast with your love would you cause your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. Would you lift up the light of your countenance, turn your attention towards them, and when they cry out, would you deliver and rescue and save? And God, would you give them your peace? We ask in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go in God's grace. You have a great weekend.